past week I was, um, I was at the Manitowoc County Ice Center. My daughter takes ice skating lessons there, my 13-year-old my daughter, Bethany. And, um, and as I was there, I'm standing in the snack bar area, and, and this guy is there. And uh, his daughter and my daughter are in uh, doing their ice skating lessons. And, and he has his little, must have been like a two-year-old boy. And he was trying to get the boy to listen to him. And it's like, uh, you know, come here, come here. And the boy's like, no, nah, I don't want to. Now, now. And he's like walking away. And he's kind of chasing after his little boy. And then he picks up his little boy. And his little boy just flails backwards. No, no, no. And I'm not noticing any of this, of course. <laughs> I'm trying not to notice. But you could just tell. I mean, honestly, I was feeling for the guy, you know. I mean, he's trying to be a loving parent, trying to be, you know, patient with his little boy, trying to have his little boy listen to him, but seriously, the little guy just would not listen. And he just, you know, dad wanted the little boy to just show daddy a little bit of respect, and little boy had nothing to do with it. Now, as a parent, you know, I've never had to live that, through that, right? I mean, we, we who have been there know that this is, uh, this is not, you know, it's not uncommon, especially it seems like in public where everybody's watching. Our kids tend to not treat us with the respect that we desire. But it doesn't just happen with our little kids. Uh, throughout life, I think we want to have respect from others for one reason or another, uh, and yet it's hard to get it. Um, and we, we, we tend to hint at wanting respect. We don't want to just tell people, listen, I want you to respect me, okay? We don't do that. We kind of do it a little bit more passively that way. Uh, for instance, we'll say something like, um, you know, uh, okay, so you didn't even really like my idea? Like, <laughs> at least respect me a little bit here, you know? Or, so were you even listening to me or what? In other words, respect me enough to at least listen to me, we'll say stuff like, um, you know, uh, it just seems like he just walked right past me like he didn't even see I was there. And it's like, at least show me some level of value to you that at least you notice that I'm in the room. Or, you know, she just blew me off. I mean, it was like she just blew me off. We, won't, we might not say it out loud, but we'll say, you know, I just asked you for one simple little thing, and this is the response I get? This is it? Really? In other words, could you please just show me a little bit of respect here? Every one of us wants to be heard. Every one of us wants to be appreciated, at least to some degree. We, we want to be respected. So how can we be men and women, boys and girls, that others could, well, look up to at least a little, you know? At least listen to us here and there. At least give us some level that we're valued by you for what we can bring to the table, or at least valued for who we are. How do we gain respect from other people? Well, we are in this series uh, entitled The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and it's a, a series starring David. And this morning, we are going to see how David turned into King David. Uh, not just in position either, not just because he was labeled the king, 
but that the people actually came to a point where they really truly respected David as their king. Now, we have seen this guy. How did he go from, you know, little shepherd boy, little teenager, when we first met him, he was maybe 17 years old, to then, you know, just tending sheep in the, in the fields to becoming literally the king of Israel some 30 years later. How did he gain the respect from the people? Well, I think if we dive into this and we sort of see how he rose to that position of power, we can see how he gained that respect from the people and probably learn something from him that we can take to our hearts as we want to be men and women after God's own heart, just like David was. So, the first thing that we're going to see this morning, that if we want to gain respect from others, then we must invest in building biblical relationships. We must build biblical relationships. And we do that because people are always more important than our position. People are always more important than our um, promotion. Uh, They're more important than our projects. They're more important than our politics. They're more important than our possessions. They're more important than any other P word you can come up with. Matter of fact, let's broaden it that people are more important than any other word that you can come up with in the English language right under God himself. We must build biblical relationships. Let me get us up to speed here. (coughs) Excuse me. King Saul... Uh, was the king of Israel, and uh, he, he dies uh, in battle, and the apparent heir to the throne then would have been David. David could have gone right on up to Jerusalem. I mean, God had said, David's the king. There's many people that knew that David was going to be the king. He could have went right up to Jerusalem and said, okay, listen, I'm the king here. But that's not what happened, actually, after Saul died. Matter of fact, we'll read what happens if you turn with me to, sec, uh, to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, we'll pick it up in chapter 2. 2 Samuel chapter 2. If you've, you've got a Bible handy, you can follow along there, or of course I'll have it up here on the screen. So 2 Samuel chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. It says, Then it came about afterwards, that would be after Saul had died, that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. So David said, where shall I go up? And he said, to Jerusalem. No, 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 no. To Hebron. Go up to Hebron? Where in the world is Hebron? What's Hebron? Hebron? Have you heard of Hebron before? No, I know. Let me show you Hebron on a map. That was perfect. Hebron is right here. Jerusalem is 21 miles to the north of Hebron. And God is calling David to go to Hebron. Now, the name Hebron is interesting. Hebron means association. Hebron means alliance. Hebron means communion. All of these words, the word Hebron is about building relationships. Hebron is like a city where we we get to know each other. And and David, uh, as Pastor Kyle taught us last week, was in hiding up until this point. Uh, David was being hunted by King Saul. David was hiding out in caves. David was kind of really secluded. He really wasn't out in the public eye. And now God is saying, now get out there. Get out there. Get known. 
and go to Hebron because in Hebron you're going to build alliances. In Hebron you're going to build associations. In Hebron you're going to build community and have communion with others. And so David comes out of hiding and he goes to Hebron, not to be in the position of king. That wasn't his primary goal. His primary goal was to build relationships with the people of Israel because people are always more important than our position. People are always more important than our position. Let's read on, verse 2. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up his men who were with him, each with his household, and they lived in the cities of Hebron. In other words, all around the city of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there anointed David king over the house of Judah. Now, we need to realize that he's not king over all of Israel. When it, when it says that he was anointed king over Judah, we need to realize there were 12 different tribes of Israel. And one of the tribes was the tribe of Judah. And David was what we call a Judahite, or he was born of the tribe of Judah. And so he had this kindred spirit with Judahites, with the other people born to the tribe of Judah, and he had connection to them, and he invested in those relationships. If we want to gain respect, then we've got to come out of our shell. We've got to come out of our cave. We've got to come out of sort of our comfort zone and invest in building biblical relationships. We've got to connect with one another. We've got to grow with one another in what it means to relate to each other and what it means to relate to the Lord together. And the only way we do that is where we come out and associate and commune with one another. Um, we do this primarily here at Faith Church through what we call HDGs, or Home Discipleship Groups. And if you're not in a Home Discipleship Group, I know I say this often, but it's so true. I want to encourage you to maybe step out a little bit, uh, give it a chance, and get involved in one of our Home Discipleship Groups so that we can build biblical relationships because God wants us to build biblical relationships and build biblical relationships God honoring relationships with those outside the family of God here so that's how we gain respect first of all secondly we gain respect when we seek to do what's right seek to do what's right now <laughs> that sounds pretty logical doesn't it I mean you know of course Somebody that's doing something that's right, you've got to respect them. You know, it seems pretty, pretty easy to do, and yet so many influences can come our way that push us away from doing what is right. The way we seek to do what's right, first of all, don't be in a rush. Don't be in a rush when it comes to gaining respect. We, we can kind of grow impatient, I think, when, when wanting others to show us respect. When we want to be influential, when we want to be appreciated for what we can contribute, when we want, to, uh, we, when we want our investments that we have made to be known, when we, when we want to under, help people understand the experience that we bring to the table, uh, is it wrong for us to want to be respected when we've invested our lives in trying to get to a place where others might respect us for whatever we want to contribute to our world? Well, David... King David, he, he was waiting um, 13 years, no less than 13 years since Samuel uh, anointed him to be the next king. And yet 
David didn't rush into it. He didn't rush into being the king. Matter of fact, there was another guy who thought he was the apparent heir to the throne after his father died. Uh, Saul had a son who had survived some of the battles with the Philistines, and he was 40 years old, and the guy's name was Ishbosheth. I don't know if you know this about the story, but actually Ishbosheth and the commanding officer of Saul's army, whose name was Abner, both thought that Ishbosheth should be the king and not David. So Abner, really the power guy, sets up Ishbosheth to be the king over Israel. So David is the king over Judah, and Ishbosheth becomes the ruler over uh, all of Israel. Matter of fact, let's read about it, beginning, drop down to verse 8, uh, 2 Samuel 2, verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. Now, Mahanaim uh, is a city halfway between the Dead Sea to the south and the Sea of Galilee to the north, and it was a little bit um, uh, east of the, uh, the Jordan River. And so Abner made Ishbosheth king over Gilead, over the Am- Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, even over all Israel. So all of the territory north of the Dead Sea. I'll show you a map in a, in a minute of the area that he was king over. Uh, verse 10, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel, and he was king for two years. Now, we'll find out later why it only lasted two years. But the house of Judah, however, followed David. So David was ruler over the whole territory where Judah was. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So let me show you another map here. And uh, you'll see the blue here on the top is Israel, where Ishbosheth was ruling over. And on the bottom here is where David was ruling over. Uh, here's Hebron here and Jerusalem up there. Uh, that's where David was the king over that area. And um, David had to wait seven and a half years before he then became king over all of that because Ishbosheth thought that he was, had, was the rightful heir to his father's throne. And so what did David do? He didn't force the issue. He wasn't in a rush. He waited. I think in America, we Americans, uh, we can grow quite impatient. We, we, we can tend to want things and we want them now. As a matter of fact, yesterday would have been better. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Those of us who maybe have sort of that go-getter attitude is kind of like, you know, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And we kind of make it happen. You know, make it happen. We we tend to say, you know, life's just going to pass you by. You got to grab it by the tail and take control of your own life. You know, we we, we say these kinds of things. It's kind of the American way. But not for David. And not for the greats of the Bible, by the way. I mean, Moses, I mean, greatest leader ever, when he was called by God to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt, he didn't just go in and lead them out of Egypt. It it took 40 years before he came back to Egypt to lead them out of their slavery. Abraham, for instance. I mean, Abraham, you know, you're going to be the father of this nation, and it's going to be wonderful. And, And he waited and waited waited for God to unfold that. Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Patience is a virtue. Matter of fact, patience is a part of the fruit of the Spirit that God wants to develop in us. We may want to 
push our way into a position of power. We may feel like we want to be respected. We're supposed to be respected. But that's not how God makes it happen. I think God wants us to be patient. He wants us to wait. He wants us to not be in a rush. Seek to do what's right. Secondly, respect others even when they don't respect us. Respect others even when they don't respect us. So, Ishbosheth comes to power, Abner, the commander of the army, and a civil war breaks out before, b- between Israel and Judah, between David's army and Ishbosheth's army, and they're fighting. And uh, we pick it up in chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, there was a long war between the house of Saul, that'd be Ishbosheth and Abner, and the house of David. And David grew steadily stronger, but the house of Saul grew weaker continually. Jump down to verse 6. It came about while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David that Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. So Abner, Ishbosheth's the king, but Abner is the one who put him on the throne, and Ishbosheth is really like a puppet king for Abner. Abner's the power guy, Ishbosheth is his little pawn that he's doing whatever he wants with him. Now, if you're in Abner's shoes, or uh, Ishbosheth's shoes, you would you would no doubt feel the way Ishbosheth felt. He felt like he was kind of being controlled by Abner, and uh, he didn't really like it. So he did what every good politician does, and that's accuse Abner of something heinous so that everybody turns their back on Abner. So what he did, and this sounds so relevant, but he, uh, he accused Abner of having an affair with Saul's concubine. Abner, you can tell, you read about this guy, he's a hothead. He's not going to put up with it. He's going to fight back. And so what does he decide to do? Well, he realizes the writing's on the wall for Ishbosheth. Obviously, they're growing weaker and David's growing stronger. So what do you say I just, you know, jump ship and try to get in good with David? Because then I can have power in David's uh, kingdom once he takes over all of Israel because he can see what's happening here. And so he arranges a time to get with, with David. Jump down to verse 20. Then Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron. David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. Abner said to David, Let me arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may be king over all that your soul desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Abner, the sworn enemy of David, comes in, and what does David do? He serves them dinner, you know? Let's, have a, let's eat together. Let's, not just any old dinner. Let's make a feast here. And sit down, sit down, Abner. So good to have you here. And, and they chit-chat, and Abner says, Listen, I can probably convert everybody's loyalty from Ishbosheth over to you. I think, I think I can probably get this done. And, and then he sends them off in peace. Now, David had his army, right? And the commander of David's army is Joab. And Joab finds out, that David had Abner over for dinner. And he's not happy with it. Matter of fact, he is really angry at David. How dare you show our enemy the respect like that? Don't you know he's just coming in, he's trying to get the stuff, you know, so that he can use it against us? Don't you know he's like a spy? I mean, this is kind of the accusation that Joab had. Joab is so angry 
about the fact that Abner was there having dinner with David, that he seeks Abner out and ends up killing him. But David, true to form, continues to have respect for Abner even after his death, even though Abner did not show respect to David. Jump down to verse 31. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes and gird on sackcloth and lament before Abner. And King David walked behind the bier. By the way, a bier is like a hearse. It's like a big old cart that's carrying the coffin with Abner's body in it. Thus they buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. David showed respect to a guy who did not respect him. And Ishbosheth, now he's without his commanding military leader, and he's growing weaker and weaker and weaker, and his inside court is realizing what's happening, and they're thinking, we got to jump ship and get over good with David. So their plan was the inside guys plan, and they kill Ishbosheth, and then they go marching over to David, thinking, haha, we're going to be heroes to David. You know, his, his arch enemy, Ishbosheth, is gone, and they come in and they tell David how they put Ishbosheth to death. Now, David's thinking, Ishbosheth was a king, and you killed the king. That's capital punishment. And he had those guys put to death for killing Ishbosheth. And when Ishbosheth died, David still showed him respect as well. Why did David do it? Why did David show respect to people who didn't show respect to him? Because it's the right thing to do. He wasn't motivated by emotion. He wasn't motivated by how those guys treated him. He was motivated by doing the right thing. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is up on the, on the mount uh, near the Sea of Galilee, and he's preaching to the people. And in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, um, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Meaning, you know, if someone pokes out your eye, you poke out their eye. If, if someone knocks out your tooth, you knock out their tooth. You know, like, let's get even here. But do you remember what he followed up with? But I say to you, never resist an evil person. If he slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him your left. If he asks for your shirt, give him your coat as well. If he asks you to walk one mile, walk with him too. We can feel uh, mistreated. We can feel disrespected. Even to the point where we might feel like, it's like my enemy. Like they really don't treat me very well. And yet, God's way is that if we are going to be women and men after God's own heart, the right thing to do is to show respect, even when someone doesn't show respect to us. Third, to do what's right, we've got to stay consistent. Consistent. Always do what's right, no matter what. Down, down in chapter 5, chapter 4 is when Ishbosheth was murdered, and then chapter 5 and verse 1, 
Then all the tribes of Israel, that'd be all 12 of the tribes, came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. You were consistent through it all, through all these years. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be a ruler over Israel. David, you were consistent. You were consistent throughout all the years, through the highs and the lows, you were consistent. Therefore, we must crown you as king. Look at verse 3. So all the elders of Israel came to the king of, at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. Then they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and then he moved up to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah, a kingdom united. You know, we can, we can pay people for their time. We can ask people for their help or that they would use their skills or their talents for one reason or another. But we cannot pay people to value us for who we are or to be loyal to us. We cannot buy devotion of heart and soul and mind. That has to be earned. And it's earned over time and being consistent with doing that which is right. Now, I have to offer a little caveat from that, a little, little warning. That even if we are consistently doing what is right, if we're consistently doing that which is right in God's eyes, still people may choose not to respect us. They just might choose to not like us for one reason or another. And therefore, we must leave our level of influence in God's hands. We must leave the level of influence that we can have with people, with others, in God's hands. Jump down to verse 10. David became greater and greater, for the Lord God of hosts was with him. God was making him more and more influential. Then Hiram, king of Tyre. Tyre was a city right up on the Mediterranean Sea, north of the city of Jerusalem. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David with cedar trees and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a house for David. And David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. You know, when I read that, I'm like, he realized it. Like, like it sort of caught him by surprise, you know? Like, well, look at here, I'm, I'm king, you know? I picture David, like, thinking, oh, oh boy, I can't, can you, can you believe, I mean, I was just a little shepherd boy, you know? I was just tending the sheep, and now I'm, like, king of Israel. This is craziness. I mean, you know, I mean, here I'm, here I'm a shepherd. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, like King Saul invites me into his castle, and I got to play the harp and sing for the guy. I'm really kind of getting to know him, thinking that he's really liking me. Maybe I'll kind of move up, you know, in rank. And then all of a sudden, he starts throwing spears at me. Like, what am I supposed to do, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm serving him then as a commander in the army, and then he starts hunting me down himself. And so all of a sudden, I'm like hiding out in caves, you know? And for years, literally for like years, I'm in cave. I'm in a cave, and I, I'm not quite sure, you know, what's going to happen here. And then all of a sudden... <laughs> Saul dies, right? He dies. 
And then I, I'm, okay, here I come. And then, and then I'm like, Hebron, where, what's Hebron? Where's Hebron? And sure enough, I'm in Hebron. But, but now look at me. I'm in Jerusalem, and they crown me as the king. That's craziness. That is craziness. All glory to God, really. I mean, really, this is unexplainable apart from God. You know, that's, that's, that's the idea. Like, he realized, he realized that all of a sudden the Lord had made him king over Israel. It's just craziness. Any of you watched the Super Bowl last Sunday? Yeah? Yeah, well, I tell you, I, I've got it. All right, true confession. I'm very glad the Eagles won. Just saying. Now, if you're a New England fan, I realize it, but there's just a few teams that I just, in my heart, I don't know why. I mean, I know why, but I'm not a big New England fan, but, man, I was I glad the Eagles won. And, and good old Doug Peterson, you know, the head coach. The head coach, now, little trivia, some of you know. Uh, so it, when he played in the NFL, who did he play more for than any other team? Anybody? The Packers, that's right. He was a backup quarterback for Brett Favre for like seven years of his football career. Now, what happened with Doug after he, uh, after he left the NFL, stopped playing in football, he then goes to coach at what would be the equivalent of the shepherd boy of head coaches of football teams, and that would be a high school football team. Now, no offense if you're a high school, high school football coach. I love high school football coaches, but he kind of went from the shepherd boy high school football coach to the king, NFL, world champion, head football coach, right? He went from that to this in just like nine years' time. And then in the game, uh, Zach Getz, or, or, or Zach Getz. See, I looked at you when I said it. <laughs> Zach Ertz. There you go. Zach Ertz, he, he, uh, he uh, catches the winning touchdown. Remember the tight end for the Eagles? I don't know if you saw it. But he dives, you know, for the ball. He catches the ball, and he dives for the end zone. And I knew right away it was a touchdown. But, man, why did they have to keep talking about it? Of course, he crossed the plane. It's a touchdown. Done. But anyway, they talked about it, and, uh, and it was a touchdown, and that was the game-winning touchdown. And, uh, and he's up on the platform at the end, and Doug Peterson's up at the platform at the end. And then, and then this Nick Foles guy. You know Nick Foles, the, the quarterback. No, let me get this straight. The backup quarterback for their franchise quarterback, led them to, the Super, to be Super Bowl champions. And just to get a feel for what that means, this year we had our backup quarterback playing, football, uh, playing quarterback for our franchise quarterback, and we had a little bit different result, those of us who are Packer fans. So Nick Foles, I mean, he, he, uh, he uh, ends up not only winning the game, but he becomes the MVP. P of the game, and he's up there on the stage too when they're giving them the, of course, Vince Lombardi trophy. Thank you very much, and uh, and uh, and along with the owner. And did you hear how they're like, you know, the confetti's coming down. It's a great celebration. They're the they're the world champions, and you know they won the Super Bowl. Did you hear how they responded to to this? Uh, let me share with you a little clip from from this ceremony. Watch this. How do you explain this, that nine years ago you're coaching in high school and here you are with this trophy? I can only give uh, the praise to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for giving me this opportunity. And I'm going to tell you something. I got the best players in the world. And uh, it's a resilient group. I love this coaching staff, Mr. Lurie, the owner, 
And not only do we have the best fans in the world, we now have the best team in the world. Thank you, guys. What was that feeling like? You're in the huddle, and you know that play is being called. What are you thinking? Uh, I better score. I mean, glory to God, first and foremost. We wouldn't be here without him. This team is amazing. Let's bring in your MVP, Nick Foles. Just another game, right, Nick? Yeah, just another game. <laughs> Unbelievable. All glory to God. Obviously, Lily really likes this mic. She, she has no idea. All glory to God. All three of those guys, born-again believers. All glory to God, you know. I mean, yeah, we play football, but, I mean, to be the world champions, how in the world did we end up here? Unexplainable, really, apart from God. That's the way they saw it. That's the way that David saw it. And that's the way that we should see it. I love Proverbs 16.9. Go with me over to Proverbs 16.9. I have it up here on the screen. It says this. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Whether or not people will respect us, that's in God's hands. He's the one that directs our steps. Our job is to keep doing what is right. Our job is to invest in biblical relationships and leave the level of our influence up to God. That's really in God's hands. And when God puts us in positions where we have clout or where we have leverage or people start to give us respect, we must use it for the benefit of others, not for personal gain. When we have a level of respect or influence or, or leverage of some way, we use it for the benefit of others, not for our own personal gain. Our level of influence and level of respect is not to kind of stroke our own egos or to reveal just how amazing we are. When any of us are in a position of respect, no matter what position that might be, whether if it's a parent being a parent or a husband or a wife or a boss or a teacher or a leader of some sort or a coach, or a mentor, or you name it. God has placed us in that position not because we're so great, not because we can do it better than everybody else, or we deserve this more than anybody else. We're put there to be leaders as servants, servants of our children, servants of our spouse, servants of our students. We're there to be servants of our troops, servants of our student-athletes. Whatever position you think of, God put us there so that we would serve, that we serve, that we serve. Look at how David saw it in, in verse 12 again. David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom, get this, for the sake of his people, Israel. David knew, I'm in this position, not so that I can be king, but I am here to serve the people that God has allowed me to lead. Jesus said, as recorded in Mark chapter 10, whoever wishes to become great among you 
shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be a slave of all. You know that, guy, that dad at that ice rink, <clears throat> when he was trying to get his little boy to respect him, to listen to him, to allow him to have influence over him, those terrible twos kicked in. And like I said, I felt for the guy. I know, I know what he was going through. But if that dad stays consistent, if that dad continues to do what's right, day in, day out, when that little two-year-old becomes 22 or 32, I'll bet that that dad will win the respect that he desires from his son. We may think that we can force people to show us respect, the respect that we deserve because of our position or our power. No matter what role we're playing in life, whether if we're playing husband or we're playing wife or we're playing parent or we're playing grandparent or boss or teacher or whatever, it's impossible, it is impossible for us to force anyone to respect us. It's impossible for us to force someone to value our position or our contribution that we want to offer. We cannot demand someone's devotion. It will not happen. God's way is that we win their hearts, that we woo them deep in their souls, that we love them no matter what. David gained the people's respect by, by being a servant, by loving people, by consistently shepherding those under his care over the years. He never rushed things. He left the results of his life in God's hands that God would unfold it before him. If we want to gain respect, then we should follow after David's lead and do likewise. 